Some of his recent comments indicate that Donald Trump may be considering dialing back the hardline immigration proposals that first launched him to campaign success. For instance, Trump's spokesmen now say there may not actually be a deportation force that will drag Mexican mothers from their homes, kick them to death in front of their weeping children, and then hurl their broken bodies back across the border while shouting, this is for the Alamo, you brown-skinned witch. Also, E-Verify may go by the boards as well. Although Trump supporters admit they're disappointed to hear of these changes, they remain committed to Trump because they say he's the one and only candidate who is not afraid to demonstrate what it would have looked like if there had been a cheese puff character in Sausage Party. Therefore, say Trump supporters, they are preparing reaction statements so they will be ready for whatever change in Trump's policy should be announced. If Trump should announce that he is no longer committed to deporting the between 11 and 300 million illegal immigrants now living in the United States, the Trump supporters plan to say that Trump has never run for office before, and it's only reasonable that he might have to modify some of his original positions as he continues to learn and grow. If Trump should then announce that he will not, in fact, build a wall to keep out future illegal immigrants, Trump supporters will say that Trump is refusing to be pigeonholed by the elite, but is playing a four-dimensional chess game in which the announcement of the wall has already caused a mental wall to rise in the imaginations of Mexicans so that if they try to cross the border, they will hit the imaginary wall, causing their noses to suddenly squash against their faces as they reel backwards into Tijuana. If Trump should announce that he plans to unilaterally declare an unconstitutional amnesty for millions of illegal immigrants who are already here, Trump supporters will respond that as a political outsider, Trump is not prone to the mindless constitution worship of deep state conspirators who want to sow hostility at the border so they can divide us from our Mexican friends while they establish a one-world government. If Trump should announce that instead of a wall, he plans to build ramps on the borders so that illegals can enter the country more easily by jumping over the Rio Grande on Harley-Davidson's while waving La Raza flags with the legend Make America Mexico Again and screaming Arriba, Arriba, Trump supporters plan to respond that Trump is not a politician, so it's only natural that he would lie repeatedly and change his positions with the wind of popular opinion. And finally, if Trump should say that his supporters are the biggest bunch of suckers he ever met and he never before realized that white men could be so gullible, his supporters plan to celebrate how Trump refuses to kowtow to political correctness and just tells it like it is. Then they'll blame the Jews. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. All right, offend, <laughs> offending the Trump people, right? Because, you know, my, my, my wife always says that my role in life is to alienate every single human being on the face of the earth one at a time. So today we did the Trump. But don't worry, don't go away, because we're, we're going after Hillary in just a moment. Don't worry about that. So we, we're on Facebook. You know, the one thing I really do want to talk about today is this transgender decision. And I, I have something to say about transgenderism and this whole crazy thing that's going on. It's been bugging me. It's been in the back of my head. The news kind of brought it to the fore today. That, unfortunately, or fortunately, will come at the end of the show. So if you're on Facebook or watching on YouTube, you'll have to change over after 15 minutes to The Daily Wire, or you can download us on iTunes or SoundCloud. And 
Tomorrow is mailbag day. Whoa, yeah, it's mailbag day. We're going to have to get Lindsay to phone that in, I think. We just can't do it. Um, but if you want to be in the mailbag, you got to subscribe. Subscribe to The Daily Wire. You get 30 days for free, and then it's a lousy eight bucks a month. Come on, subscribe. Send us your questions in the mailbag, and we will answer all your questions. And then all your questions will be answered, and that part of your life will be finished. You'll just have to move on to take, take action. You won't have any questions left. All right, let's talk about these Hillary emails. So remember when Hillary Clinton said she had released all her emails? It was a matter of convenience. I've said repeatedly it was not the best choice. It was a mistake. Uh, but uh, I think that uh, uh, anybody who's actually looked at this uh, has concluded that I have now put out all of my emails. Go and ask others for their emails. Ask uh, everybody else who's in public office. Uh, I'm the one who's done it, and I did it because I thought it was the right thing to do. Ruh-roh. Uh, <laughs> once again, does, does, does she ever tell the truth? I mean, does she ever say any? It's like that old joke about convicts. How do you know they're lying? It's when their mouths are moving. It's like this. Hillary Clinton is like this. Anyway, the FBI now discovered they have almost 15,000, 14,900 emails that haven't been released. And they, the uh, State Department says they want to vet them and see if they have, you know, are they duplicates, are they personal, are they work? And a federal judge said, yeah, hurry up, get them out there. So the State Department says they're going to get them out by October. I'm holding my breath, and I should be dead by <laughs> late, or just around November. I should just collapse out of holding my breath. So we'll see. We'll see if they get these out in October. The New York Times is very worried. They're, you know, every every story about Hillary's dishonesty always starts with Republicans try to make hay out of, you know, as if it, <laughs> you know, these poor Republicans are walking down the street. She lied. It's not our fault. You know. Anyway, so that's that. And then these emails that have already come out, here's the thing that drives me nuts. Judicial Watch has these FOIA emails, right? They, the FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act, where you file while, you know, you say you have to t- show us these emails, they're public property, and then a judge reviews it, and then th- 50 years later, after <laughs> the government finally decides they're going to comply, they turn over these emails. Why is Judi- Judicial Watch is a conservative organization? Citizens United also does this. Why isn't the press doing this? Why isn't the New York Times doing this? I mean, the way this works is Judicial Watch or Citizens United files a FOIA. Finally, the government complies and turns over, usually with a judge kicking them in the butt, they comply and they turn over the emails. And then the Clinton camp says, well, these are just right-wing groups, you know, asking for the, well, that's true, but why isn't the New York Times doing it? Why, you know, this is a news story. This is a news story. So, So now they're looking through these emails that they've already got. And they are showing that there was a permeable wall, we'll call it, as opposed to, as by which I mean no wall at all, between the Clinton Foundation, people giving money to the Clinton Foundation, and those people who were able to contact the State Department while Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State and asked for meetings. So they found one, for instance, from June 2009, Doug Band, because he's the guy who's running the Clinton Foundation. He writes to Huma Abedin, Hillary Clinton's top, I mean, her top advisor. To, they asked her to write to Huma Abedin. <laughs> Would you stop making that joke? I'm, I'm so sick. Oh, it's me. I'm sorry. Uh, so they write to Huma Abedin, and he says that the crown prince of Bahrain would like a meeting, and he writes, you know, good friend of ours. Good, good friend of ours in his email. I love that. Good friend of ours. Which, what that means is he gave somewhere around 100 grand to the Clinton Foundation, plus like $32 million in one of their programs for educating people. And he wants to he wants to get a meeting with Mrs. Clinton. And Huma writes back, you know, 
she doesn't want to commit to anything until she knows how she will feel. And a lot of the emails, I'll get back to this in a minute, but a lot of these emails have lines like that in it. Anyway, she finally says, okay, well, I, I've, I've reached out through normal channels. So the story basically is, well, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't allow these meetings just because this guy got a contribution. But you try writing to the State Department and seeing how fast your request is to meet with the Secretary of State goes through, um, goes through normal channels. So that's one. And then there was another one. Mr. Band, Douglas Band, sought Huma Abedin's help in obtaining a visa for a member of a UK soccer team at the request of Casey Wasserman, the president of the Wasserman Foundation, which donated between five and ten million dollars to the Clinton Foundation. And Miss Abedin writes, I doubt we can do anything, but maybe we can help with an interview. Uh, I got this now. It makes me nervous to get involved, but I'll ask. And Ban says, well, don't ask if you're nervous. But I mean, this is just this is an open channel. This is what they call pay for play. If you gave money to the Clinton Foundation, you had an in. And of course, Donald Trump quite rightly, is hitting this hard. No issue better illustrates how corrupt my opponent is than her pay-for-play scandals as Secretary of State. As the evidence has become public over the last several months, I've become increasingly shocked by the vast scope of Hillary Clinton's criminality. Her actions corrupted and disgraced one of the most important departments of government, indeed, only four established by the United States Constitution itself. The amounts involved, the favors done, and the significant number of times it was done require an expedited investigation by a special prosecutor. Some former prosecutors have even suggested that the coordination between the pay-for-play State Department and the Clinton Foundation constitute a clear example of RICO racketeering influence, corrupt organization enterprise. The Justice Department is required to appoint an independent special prosecutor because it has proven itself to be really, sadly, a political arm of the White House. All true. I mean, everything he's saying right there is true. If he can keep from, you know, stepping on his own tongue, he's like, he, this is a huge issue. And the thing is, you know, you read, you read the mainstream media, they're downplaying stuff. They do what they do. And they always parse these things. Well, did he do this? Did she do that? You know, did she actually have this meeting and all this stuff? But the problem with the Clintons, and this was a problem when Bill Clinton was in the White House, is they lower the standards for everybody. When Bill Clinton was first caught with having an affair in our Oval Office that we pay for with Monica Lewinsky, a woman young enough to be his daughter, a, something that would have gotten any CEO in the country, including Roger Ailes, fired from his position. Okay, when that happened, I remember one of the newsmen, I think it was Peter Jennings, came out and said, if this is true, he will be gone. Within, he will resign within 48 hours, within 72 hours, whatever it was he said. And, of course, we all remember that the mainstream media dumped this story and Drudge broke it. Drudge broke the story of the stained dress and all this stuff. And the thing is, that was the state of play at that moment. At that moment, the state of play was that a president who cheated on his wife, openly cheated on his wife in the Oval Office while he was supposed we all know that uh, John F. Kennedy did it. We know he did it with like several women at the same time in the Oval Office, but he never got caught. The press buried the story. 
the state of play was that if you got caught doing this, you were gone. When we accepted the Bill Clinton standard that if I can stay and fight this out and defend and tell you that is doesn't mean is and, you know, oral sex isn't sex and, you know, play with words until I'm just and just last it out. It's the old Clinton routine. You know, I'm not going to go. I'm lying. I'm lying. I'm lying. Oh, this is an old story. You know, you're caught lying. That's an old story, you know, because I lied long enough to make it an old story. So now it's an old story. Nowadays, of course, you can get caught doing almost anything sexual and it's it's fine. Nobody says a word. You know, you get you say, you know, yes, I, you know, I was cheating on my wife with a man, but now my gay identity has come out. And now I have to be honest with myself, you know, and it's all fine. And that is the Clinton way The Clinton brings down the, the Clintons bring down the country. And Hillary is now doing it on the level of honesty. You even have newsmen saying, well, does it really matter if a politician is honest? And the answer is yes, they're damn straight. It matters. This is what we hire them to do. We hire them to run things and tell us what they're doing. And, you know, if they're going to lie, then we have no way of knowing what our government is up to. This is what Clinton does. Everything they touch becomes worse and every standard becomes less. And getting back to this health thing, so many of these emails have remarks in them, like, I'm not feeling great. You know, I'm not feeling good. This is maybe not today. I don't feel so good. And I don't want to fuel a conspiracy. I know the right is just as prone to conspiracies as the left, and I know they go out there and and they say, you know, uh, Barack Obama was born in Kenya or, you know, uh, Ted Cruz's dad killed JFK and all this stupid stuff that happens on the right. But she looks sick to me, too. I got to say, every time she sits down, she flinches. You know, she she coughs all the time. She goes off on these kind of like you see her eyes go off. Rudy Giuliani says the whole thing is being covered up by the by the press. She has an entire media empire that constantly demonizes uh, Donald Trump and fails to point out that she hasn't had a press conference in three, 300 days, 200 days, 100 days. I don't know how long uh, fails to point out several signs of illness uh, by her. So go online and put down Hillary Clinton illness. Take a look at the videos for yourself. So I did that, and it's there's nothing conclusive, you know. I mean, it's all this stuff. You can always find stuff online that looks weird and all this. But all, all I will say about this is this. <clears throat> the press is acting exactly as if this is true. They're having debates. Is, is Hillary's health off limits? She's 70. She's running for president of the United States. Why is her health off limits? When did that, you know, when did that happen? <clears throat> Pardon me. When did that standard suddenly appear? And Hillary goes on Jimmy Kimmel, and with the help of Kimmel's writers, no doubt, does this cute little ru- routine about her health. Are you in good health? Well, this has become one of their themes. Here, you take my, take my pulse while I'm talking to you. Okay. Um, so uh, make sure I'm alive. Oh, my now, God, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. Uh, what, what can I say? It's... Uh, Back in October, the National Enquirer said I would be dead in six months. Oh, wow. Oh, boy. So with every breath I take, I feel like it's a... You have a new lease on life. Yeah, a new lease on life. Uh, uh, Um, It's funny, you know... know, I don't know why they are saying this. I think, on the one hand, it's part of the wacky strategy. Uh Uh-huh. Just say all these crazy things, and maybe you can get some people to believe you. Um, On the other hand, it just absolutely makes no sense. And I, I don't go around questioning Donald Trump's health. I mean, as far as I can tell, he's as healthy as a horse. Well, his doctor said he had the best health medical examination he's ever seen in a human being. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. (laughs) Can you open this jar of pickles? This has not been tampered with. 
This is... <laughs> oh, oh, you didn't get it. Okay, so that's very cute. You know, they've got, what is he got a staff of 30 writers to make Hillary Clinton look almost human. Meanwhile, she's got this, she's wearing this thing buttoned up to her, to her chin. She's got enough makeup on her to make another face. She looks like a head floating in a jar, you know, with just like a body painted on the glass. I mean, you know, I mean, there's something, that I don't know. I, I don't, I, like I don't, like I said, I don't like to start conspiracy theories at all, but there's something wrong with this woman. And, and you know, look, if you're 70, there's probably something wrong with you, but I just wonder how serious it is. She has suffered this terrible concussion. She fell down, you know, and all this stuff. And she always seems to be slipping and falling. Who knows? Who knows? We will find out. And and uh, Trump would have a lot more power to pull this to our attention if he hadn't gone for the birther garbage with Obama, if he hadn't gone for the Ted Cruz dad killed Kennedy stuff. I mean, that stuff just gives him absolutely no credibility at all. Speaking of Trump's credibility, of course, there's now this thing about is he pulling back on the border wall. And the reason this is important, of course, is this is what made him a a viable candidate. This is what really got people going, especially people like Ann Coulter, who feel that the world is coming apart. Oh, I have to stop and say goodbye. Oh, gosh, you're going to miss the best part. If you don't come to The Daily Wire, I'll say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube, but come to The Daily Wire and hear the rest. Onward, onward we go with the, to the sound of trumpets. All right, so, and Ann Coulter is still a true believer. She says that he is not going to back down. Kellyanne Conway, Trump's spokeswoman, said that, you know, it's to be determined whether there'll be a deportation force. But here is Ann Coulter. She has a new book out. Can we see a picture of her new book? Called In Trump We Trust, E Pluribus Awesome. <laughs> so she's she's all in, and I only put that there because I have a tremendous crush on Anne, and she always looks lovely in her book covers. But here's her response to, is he pulling back on the board? I think this is just more of the media propaganda. This is such a non-story. Um, look, we know the direction he's going in. We know there's going to be a wall. What I used to hear for half the campaign was, oh, and he secretly told the New York Times there's not even going to be a wall. I mean, of course, there's give and take in Washington. With Hillary, we are getting, as she has said and as Tim Kaine have said, totally open borders, complete amnesty, along with a member of my party or my ex-party, um, Paul Ryan. Speaker of the House, they are both for granting amnesty to millions of illegals. Um, Hillary says she wants to more than quadruple the number of Muslim refugees she's bringing in. The details of Trump's plans, we're getting a wall. He's going to let ICE do its job. Um, How much he can do without the agreement of Congress, whether that's in Democrat hands or my old Republican Party's hands, um, you know, that of course there's going to be some give and take and negotiation. I'm quite sure ICE is going to be let free to do its job. But I just think this is an utter tempest in a teapot, and it's only the media could, you know, keep keep introducing the same news as if this is a breaking news story. Yeah, we don't know the details yet. We know that um, we know there's not going to be amnesty under Trump, and we know we're getting a wall. You know, uh, Trump was going to give a speech on Thursday to clarify his position on this, but he has said now that that's not going to happen. He says he's still going to deport people and all this stuff. So this story is developing. What bothers me actually is not Trump finding his way and defining, you know, Anne is right. You have these negotiations in Washington. It's not him finding his way and defining his position. It does bother me when his supporters 
change their positions to follow him instead of sticking to their principles. I'm going to be really interested to hear, I mean, Anne can always say that his position is going to be stronger than Hillary Clinton's because it will be. But last night I heard Laura Ingram suddenly saying, this is not about immigration. It's about, you know, whether we're going to have on it to have trust in government. Well, if he changes his position on this basic issue that brought him to me, how can you trust him? But, you know, that's the thing. It's, it's really it really doesn't bother me when Trump changes his mind. It bothers me that people are willing to change reality itself to follow Trump. And on the subject of reality, this brings me to this transgender thing, which really has been bugging me. A federal judge in Texas has temporarily blocked the Obama administration's directive, allowing transgender public school students to use the bathroom of their choice, siding with Texas and a coalition of 12 other states that filed a lawsuit over the issue. This is from the Wall Street Journal. In a ruling issued late Sunday, U.S. District Judge Reed O'Connor said that administration failed to take proper steps in crafting the recent guidelines, which say schools should let students use the bathroom of their chosen gender identity. So essentially, the, the Department of Education just declared that this was a, you know, this wasn't legislation because it was Title IX. But what they did was, where Title IX said there's no discrimination based on sex, they then defined sex as your internal sense of what your gender is, okay? And the judge says, it cannot be disputed that the plain meaning of the term sex in Title IX meant the biological and anatomical differences between male and female students as determined at their birth. Okay, so he's saying basically you can't just rewrite the, le the regulations without having people come in and talk about them, and they're not really regulations. He's saying they have the force of law because they're threatening to take away federal funding from uh, from public schools, so that gives it the force of law. And this, is, of course, is going on. And, 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 you know, in Albuquerque, in elementary school, uh, an assistant principal told teachers to stop calling students boys and girls. Stop calling them boys and girls. You know, that's the gen this is the gender identity procedural directive. Sounds like right out of 1984, doesn't it? The gender identity procedural directive. And I, I started to ask myself, like, why is this why, why is this happening, basically? Why is this such a big deal, you know? That it's, it's, how many people are transgender? Six, 10, you know, in a country of 300 million people? I mean, I know, look, teenagers go through this whole thing where they have to wrestle with their gender identity and they come to terms with who they are and with their identity in general. But why, why does this bother us so much when they do this? I mean, because it goes right up my spine, I'll be honest with you. And, and we always come up with these responses. Well, if you allow men who pretend they're women into the girls' bathroom, then women, girls will be molested in the bathroom. Is that really what we're bothered by? I mean, how many times is that going to happen? Now, it only has to happen once to be terrible, but at the same time, I keep thinking that that's one of those things we say to appeal to political people, where this is really bothering me on a much deeper level. Do I care whether somebody identifies as a man or a woman? Do I care whether if he's an adult or she's an adult, she goes and has an operation? It doesn't bother me one little bit. I mean, I live in L.A. I don't know what anybody is, you know. I mean, I'm pretty sure my wife's a girl. That's my, that's where basically my, my certainty and my interest ends. I don't care what people are. I don't care, you know, if I'm doing business with you, if I'm talking with you. I do not care what your sexual life is. I truly do not. So why, why is, and why is Obama, I mean, I know Obama's doing it to distract from the failures of his presidency, but you know, this is more important than this in a, in a bigger way. This is a cult that's beginning and parents are really under the gun. There's a piece at PJ Media by a fellow named Ty, Tyler O'Neill, and he says more and more parents are stepping out and admitting that their ch children identify as transgender and want to do something about it. 
and they feel caught. They say schools encourage gender confusion and doctors reportedly won't even run preliminary tests if a child asks for life-altering treatment, which means hormone therapy and operations and all this. Says before you and Taylor says Tyler says before you sign your kids up, listen to the real life stories of people who deeply regret their transition. And he brings on some people. Here's here's a woman named Casey. She is she was transitioning and she left. She was surrounded. She was surrounded by transgender people, and she decided not to go. And there's a woman named uh, I'm seeing if I can remember her name Julia Serrano. I think it is. Who is that? It, Julia Serrano. She says that if you detransition, which is called going back to your original gender, there's something wrong with you. It's because you're reacting to transphobia and all this stuff. And this woman says no. She said basically what she says is I had a trauma, and well, let's talk about that afterwards. Let's listen to what she says. I had trauma that led to me disassociating from my female body, and that the longer I chased that disassociation. The more I asked people to call me special pronouns, the more I tried to change my body, the more I ensconced myself in a community that would affirm a trans identity, the worse I felt. So then when I realized like, wow, I'm miserable doing this and I'm not the only miserable person I see around here, maybe I should try a different way of relating to these feelings and treated them like trauma symptoms and I felt better. It's a central story in my life and you're erasing it to make me fit into your ideology. And you're erasing me so that your ideology can stand. What she's saying is something happened to her. Let's let's just make I'm making this up. I don't know what obviously I don't know this woman, so I don't know what happened to her. But let's say some evil guy molested her, and it made her feel bad about being a woman. It made her feel bad about her sexuality. She goes to a doctor, and the doctor says, "Ah, what you need is to be pumped full of testosterone and have an operation so that you're a man." You know, and she's saying, "No, that's not." When I started to realize my feelings were the result of a trauma and started to treat them as trauma symptoms, as meant as a mental disorder, essentially. Not that she's crazy. She's having a normal re- reaction to ter- some terrible thing that happened to her. That she got, she got resistance and people telling her that, that, that she was wrong. <laughs> she wasn't running up against evil conservatives like me telling her not to transition. She's running up against evil leftists telling her not to transition back to what she was born as, okay? And, and there's a letter uh, quoted from Rod Dreher's American conservative uh, website where it says, as a parent, this is a comment, as a parent living the nightmare of having a teen who suddenly announces she's transgender, I can tell you there are no doctors who will do anything but agree. There is no science behind this. There is no way to medically diagnose her. Her therapist knows that she is not transgender, but fears there's no way we can stop her. Three of her closest friends have already had full transition paid for by their parents, so it's difficult for her to understand why we won't do do the same. In other words, this is a cult. This is something, you know, these these crazy psychological things happen from time to time. Back in the 70s, there was this thing that every uh, daycare center was 
filled with molestations. There was an absolute hysteria. You know, children were being coerced into confessions. Then there was the lost memory syndrome, was everybody had forgotten the fact that they were molested as a child, and suddenly people were inventing these memories. And now we're having this transgender thing, because this is, I, I suspect, I'm not a scientist, I'm not telling you what it is, but I suspect real transgenderism is a dysphoric mental disorder on the uh, order of anorexia, where you think you're skinny, when you think you're fat, when you're really skinny, and you don't really see your own body. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The question is, why is the federal government getting involved in this? And see, I don't think this is a fight about bathrooms at all. I think this is a fight about the nature of human beings and the nature of reality. And one of the things I was talking about yesterday is for us to take back the culture, we have to know what we're fighting for, okay? It's not just enough to know what we're fighting against. What, what they are saying, and their theorists say this, the left's theorists say this, is that your identity is a construct. It is a construct of the world. You are a woman because everybody says you're a woman, whereas uh, the fact that I, if I say I'm a woman and everybody says I'm not, they're really deconstructing what I feel to be the, the truth. And what we are saying is, wait a minute, wait a minute. Society doesn't say you're a woman because of some conspiracy where we all got together and said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to say, you know, that Taylor is a woman now. We're going to pretend. We're going to pretend. You know, it's because she's a woman. It's because society is noticing something that is true. And this is true of identity as well. Anybody who's raised children know most of parenting is letting your children become themselves. That is 95% of parenting is letting your children become themselves. The other 5% is hitting them in the head when they run out in front of cars, but the 95% is just allowing them to become themselves. And pregnant women can tell you the personality of the children in their bellies, children who the left says we should be able to abort. I have met women, I have married women who tell you, a woman who can tell you what that child is going to be like. And sure enough, the child comes out and he is like that from the moment he's born till, you know, he becomes an adult, still the same guy. Every parent knows that, you know, your son is the same guy at 30 he was at one. You know, he changes a little bit around 13 for about three years, and then he goes back to being who he was. What they are saying is, no, that's a construct. That's a construct. You should be in charge of it. And, you know, it's just people stopping you from taking control of your true identity. That sounds very liberating. That sounds like, ooh, I can say I'm anybody I want. You know, I can say I'm Michael Jordan. And if, if I can't hit a basket, it's your fault because you don't, you know, once you take it out of the sexual realm, by the way, it becomes obviously absurd. If I say, oh, I'm Michael Jordan, you know, you should pay me millions of dollars to play basketball. They keep saying you have no shot. You know, that's, that's just you constructing that I have no shot because you think the ball should go through the basket when I throw it. You know, that's ridiculous. You know, it's the same thing with transgenderism, except since it's a little bit more amorphous, it's a little bit harder to pin down. But it sounds like it's very liberating. But in fact, it means that if society has the power to deconstruct you or construct you, they are taking something away from you when they call you by the wrong pronoun. They are assaulting you. It's violence when they are calling you by the wrong pro pronoun. And you read this online. It's an act of violence to call me he or she. That means that the state has the power to step in. And that means, ultimately, that the state has the power to define reality, and that's what they're fighting for. They're fighting for the power to define your inner reality because if your inner reality is set by the living God, they have no business touching it, and that's what they want. They want their hands literally on your soul. They want to be able to control your inner reality, and so they're taking this minority who is helped by that in order to intrude on the majority 
So they have that power over them. You are not you unless we say you're you. And, you know, of course, it always comes down. They say the whole thing is a power construct. We define people as women, so we have power. And so who becomes the bad guy? It's always men. It's always white men because white men are the powerful people in the society, so they say. So it always gives the state power over white men which is power over everybody, essentially. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about whether there is such a thing as reality, inner and outer, or does the state get to, get to control it? If we're right, if we're right, then churches and, hum and communities and individuals should decide what's right and wrong. If they're right, they get to decide. And that's why we're fighting about it. It has nothing really to do with bathrooms. All right, stuff I like. I'm running a little long, but I, yesterday I was talking about this wonderful crime film, Hell or High Water, and how wonderful Ben Foster is, and it reminded me of another wonderful and a very obscure <laughs> crime film named Alpha Dog, which is based on the true uh, 2000 murder of Nicholas Markowitz, which happened right in my neighborhood up in Santa Barbara where I was living. Uh, and it, it, it stars, it has this young cast Every single one of them went on to have a career. Uh, Emil Hirsch is in it, who went on to be the star of Into the Wild. Justin Timberlake, who you all know. Ben Foster is in it. He he just has this one. He plays this absolutely lunatic guy who, at one point, has to go in and tell his parole officer that he's not using drugs. Okay, so here's the, here's this scene. This guy's one of my favorite actors, and here's this scene where he goes in obviously stoked on some kind of speed and is trying to convince this guy he's not using drugs. Ain't no turning back now. Get the fuck out of here. Come on, let's go. Breaking in houses using drugs. Speed mainly. It's not true. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. Pete, I swear to God. Dude. Dude! It's... I feel you. I'm right here. Don't look at me that way. I'm telling you the fucking truth. I'm totally fucking straight, man. I mean, I'm a little... Mr. Lampington's so full of shit, he's out of fucking town. How would he know what I'm doing? You disappoint me. Pete. Pete. I need this fucking job! Yeah, so he's not on drugs at all. <laughs> Alpha Dog, really good. Who else is in it? Uh, Olivia Wilde, Amanda Seyfried. Uh, they all went on. Anton Yelchin, the guy who sadly was just uh, killed by his car, the guy he played the Russian guy in Star Trek. Uh, just a tremendous cast. I think it's a really good crime film. You know, it's not a classic great movie, but it's a really, really uh, tough, interesting crime film. And it's a true story. Uh, they moved the location, I think, to San Diego or somewhere, but it really took place in Santa Barbara. All right. More tomorrow. The Claven Week continues. Uh, it's mailbag day. Send in your questions if you haven't already. Send them in, and we will answer them all tomorrow. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Be there. <laughs>